0: 1 Peter chapter 3, <clears throat> from verse 17. I wonder what the mornings are like in your house, ordinarily during the week. Um, and what I mean particularly is, I wonder what the sort of uh, level of conversation is uh, when people are going out of the door, if you're living with other people at home. Um, what do you say to people as they leave in the morning, uh, that are at home, um, do you even get a chance to say anything as they go out the door? Sometimes my daughter's gone, and I, I, she's gone, and I didn't even realise she'd left. Um, but uh, perhaps it's something like, "Have you have you got your key?" Maybe you might shout that, um, or "Have you got your lunch?" Some people are nothing. Thanks, Mary. Um, or, or, or you might uh, maybe it's something like, um, "Have you got your PE kit?" Have you got children. Because often the kids run out the the house without their PE kit, don't they? Um, Are you going to be back for tea later? Oh, they've gone. <laughs> Are you going to be back for tea? Those kinds of questions. Well, I wonder what it is. What, what happens as people leave your house in the morning? What do you shout? Well, think about that. And now imagine that you're a Christian living with another Christian in, say, North Korea. Where to be a Christian in North Korea is to effectively sign your death warrant. Where there is every likelihood that if you say goodbye in the morning, you won't see them again. What would you say then as you said goodbye? I'm sure we'd hug them tighter, wouldn't we? We'd hug one another tighter. And what kind of truths would you want to reassure them with? If you were a parent and you lost your life, what would you want the children, your children who remained behind, to hear about your Christian faith when you weren't there to be able to tell them? It would matter, wouldn't it? These kinds of things would really matter. Well, how about verse 12 on page 860? John brought this to us last week. Maybe you'd want to say, the eyes of the Lord are on you and his ears are attentive to your prayers. Those are beautiful words, aren't they? Gracious words. In the the fires of suffering. Or maybe you might go to verse 14 and you'd want to say to them tenderly but even if you should suffer for what is right you will be blessed. So be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil. This is what you'd want to be saying, isn't it? You will suffer for doing good as a Christian But don't be deflected from love. That was Peter's message last week in the verses we were looking at last week. And don't be deflected from speaking about Jesus. That's the big idea this week. Don't shrink back from talking about Jesus with gentleness and respect. Can you just put the slide up for us, Joe? There's, there's, that's the headline there. That's the big idea, I think, in the verses we're looking at. When people are hostile to the message of Jesus, it's most like me to withdraw. I don't know about you, but it's most like me to withdraw to avoid getting into an uncomfortable conversation. Or else perhaps to avoid the bits that people don't want to hear. The bits of the truth that people just don't want to hear because they're just too uncomfortable. Or perhaps you're the type of person that gets rude and impatient with people because they just won't hear and they just won't listen. No, Peter says, don't be deflected from speaking the truth gently and respectfully. And today's verses, gloriously, wonderfully, give us the motivation to do that. Because as we see time and time again in this letter, Peter never tells us to do something without giving us the motivation to do it. I'm so glad about that, aren't you? Because it's no good when somebody just tells me to do something. I need the motivation to do it. And that's what we've got here. Now, verses 17 and 18 that we've been looking at, literally begin with the words, for. Both of those verses begin with the word, for, or because. So, verse 17 begins, for, dot, 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 dot. Verse 18, for, dot, 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 dot. Which means that all of today's verses, the bulk of the, the stuff that goes after, is tied into the section... From verses 14 to verse 16. That's really important. So have a look with me at verse 14 and see see what it says as it begins, Do not fear. Let me read that out to you. Do not fear what they fear, says Peter. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience. So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ. May be ashamed of their slander. Because, verse 17. Because, verse 18. So over verses 14 to 18. If you're making notes, you could write, don't shrink back from talking about Jesus. That's what you could write over verses 14 to 18. And over verses 18 to 22, you could write, because... dot 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 dot. Okay? Because. Peter says, here now are the reasons. I'm going to give you the reasons. And so, I take it because of that, every verse in this section, and the tricky ones, and there are some tricky ones in this section... And and I'm going to give you my view of what I think. But there are all sorts of different views. And I might be wrong today. And you might be right if you've got a different thought on that. But I take it that the trick verses and all the verses later in the section here must be saying something about that. They must be driving us to that. Not to shrink back from talking about Jesus with gentleness and respect. They must be giving us the motivation for that. And that's what I'm going to use to help me to understand those tricky bits when we get to them. Are we happy with that? Okay? So I have found seven reasons, seven motivations, seven beautiful, beautiful truths. Okay? They're going to help us and motivate us to do that. And they're here, and I'll put them right at the front so we can go through them quickly. And we we are going to go through them quickly. Number one, God wills that you suffer in that moment. No trial for your faith. No suffering as a Christian is pointless. Verse 17. Verse 17 says, For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good, than for doing evil. And since it's got to be God's will to do good, and it can never be God's will that we should do evil, then the, if it is God's will, in that sentence must be referring to suffering. Christian, when you suffer for the good of defending his honor and name, that is God's will. Just think about that for a moment. God's will. Is he not worthy ...of your trust? Is he not worthy... ...of your allegiance? You may suffer for his good... ...but he can't take his eyes off you. Number two... ...Christian suffering... ...won't last. I'm getting that mostly from verse 18... ...where it says... For Christ died for sins once for all. Christ suffered once. One time. It might have been 33 years of the most agonizing suffering imaginable, but it was once. For all eternity. Do you ever think about eternity? Let me use an illustration that, that, um, that someone once showed me. Imagine I place a full stop on this piece of paper, right in the middle of the piece of paper here. And then imagine I take my pencil and then from that full stop I draw a line to the edge of the piece of paper. And then I take my pencil and I carry the line on to the edge of this lectern here. And then I carry the line on, say, to the edge edge of this room over here. And then let's imagine that I have enough lead in the pencil to be able to draw it to the edge of speak, even. And then imagine I could draw that line from the edge of speak to the end of our country and on over the sea. And maybe I could draw the line all the way around the world. Now let me go back to that full stop. That full stop is your life, my life. And that line that goes on and on and on is eternity. And it's so like me to make it all about my comfort and well-being in this little while. In this full stop of my life. This one trillionth of my existence. Than to suffer for the good of defending Jesus' honour and name. That's so like me. wonders are like you? Three... Peter says, you follow in Christ's steps. In verse 18, Christ is our example. Verse 18 is literally, for Christ also suffered. You suffer for defending his name, but Christ also suffered. You follow in his steps. And that is hugely encouraging, isn't it? I wonder if you've ever been impressed enough by somebody to want to follow in their steps. You know what it's like to really see something wonderful and say, that is great, I want to follow that. I love that, I want to follow that. That's why I enjoy Christian biographies. My wife enjoys these Christian biographies too. We love these, these series of simple Christian biographies. I commend them to you. If you, if you, if you haven't read a good Christian biography lately they're they're wonderfully encouraging aren't they I want to do that that's great you want to follow don't you a good example but hey Peter says Jesus is the example here wow Well, we think these guys are good Jesus himself he's your team leader Peter says he's calling you over to his team to follow him follow me he says you defend the honor of the name of Jesus. He's not ashamed to call you a brother. Wow. Wow. Four: The goal is priceless. The goal is priceless. I'm getting that from verse 18. "The Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. to bring you to God. What's the worst thing in the whole world? Let me ask you, what's the worstest, worst, most awful, worst thing in the whole world? That you and I are sinners and that apart from Christ, we will be forever separated from God. The source of all good. That's just the worst thing in the whole world. Now, what's the best thing in the world? It's not to be a millionaire. It's not to be pretty. It's not to be handsome, thank goodness. It's not to have lots of money. It's not to be successful. It's to be brought back to God. That chasm that we can't do anything about. To be brought back to God. To be able to bridge that chasm. That's the best thing in the whole world. God made him to be sin who knew no sin. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that idea of righteousness is what, what's, what's in this section here, isn't it? Friends, that is the most wonderful thing in the world. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. And it's so like me to forget how high the stakes are. When I shrink back from talking about Jesus with gentleness and respect. Five, you are able. You are able because you are a new person. Now, I said to you verse 18 and 19 are tricky. And theologians have argued over what they might mean for a long time. For me, the understanding of verse 18, which most makes sense, goes like this. For Christ also suffered, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, which we said, that he might bring us to God, listen carefully, we being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In other words, put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, is another way of expressing what Peter means when he says, we've been brought to God. He's saying this is another way of putting that. Or what he calls earlier on in chapter 1 of the letter, being born again. He's used that phrase for what it means to be brought to God. And in verse 21, Peter's going to use baptism as a kind of picture of this being born again. This idea of going down into the water being a picture of dying to the old self. Uh, I don't know I haven't been here when we've had a baptism here Steve do we, am I standing on where, where normally the pool would be or something or what that's what you used to do in the old building okay and many of you will have seen a baptism won't you um, and the way that, that people go down under the water and I'm pretty sure that um, unless you're keeping it from me I'm pretty sure people come up after don't they I don't think anybody's ever stayed down <laughs> under the water or died uh, here thankfully um we come up out of the water don't we because that that represents that symbolizes a new life dead going under the water and rising to a new life in the spirit here and now but this time with jesus as my savior and lord and that coming out of the water is a sign of that new life and it may be symbolic but it is significant if, if you think becoming a Christian is just turning over a new leaf, then, then baptism, that sort of going under the water and coming back up, up again, it is nothing more than a warm bath, really, to get dirt off you. That's what Peter says here in verse 21. You know, my, my, my family like baths, I'm not that keen, I prefer a shower myself, but my wife loves uh, a bath, with rubber ducks and... You know, the, the, is it, is it like a loofer? Do you know what you call it? You sort of get, get the stuff off your back and everything. Um, and the bath salts. Do we still have bath salts these days? Or is that very old? Oh, people are not in yet. india used to give those as presents. Because you could get them from the pound shop and you'd give them to Grand Christmas and stuff. Anyway. Um, but that's just like a bath. and, 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 and we, we like a bath. My wife likes a bath a couple of times a day. The, the water meter and the gas meter in our house is doing a merry dance. Um, because of all the baths we do but listen to me if you think baptism or your christening perhaps will save you this morning as a kind of a, a hocus pocus lickety split type sort of magic type thing well you're wrong you're wrong and you're perilously, perilously wrong because Peter said you might as well have a bath you might as well have a bath but that is not a picture of transformation which arises when someone says, I'm a sinner. Jesus, you've saved me, and my appeal now to God, and before the world, before everybody here, this is what happens in the baptism, my appeal to God before everyone here, is that God, you would honor your promise, and forgive me, that you would transform me, that you would make me new, so that with your help, being put to death in the flesh, and made alive in the Spirit, I might walk daily in repentance and faith with you as my Lord. That is transformation. That's transformation. of which baptism, true baptism, is a symbol. So brought to God, put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit, born again. Believers' baptism. There are always in this letter of saying... You don't have to play by the old rules any longer. You've died once. you died. What are you afraid of? What is there to be afraid of? You're alive. You're a new person. That spirit gives life. And the spirit tells the truth, tells out the truth. You notice how in verses 18 and 19, being made alive in the Spirit and going out to tell the truth in the power of that Spirit are connected ideas. are joined together. Because that new life that we have in the Spirit is the enabler. So that we can talk about Jesus with gentleness and respect. I need not shrink back from talking about Jesus with gentleness and respect because possessing the spirit of Christ I am able. You are able. Even if it seems hopeless. And that's the sixth motivation. Don't obsess about numbers. You think you're in a minority. In Noah's day it was eight in the one hand and the whole world on the other how like me to to allow the fact that Jesus is unpopular to frighten me into silence? How like me to think that rejection and suffering for Jesus' name is something new, something that's only happened in the last ten years? Peter takes us back to Noah's day and gives us Noah's example. We haven't got time to go into it in detail. But there were eight people that were saved, he says. That's the point that he's... He's drawing out for us especially. So don't obsess about numbers. When, let me ask you, when you look at the thousands of people in Speak who, who oppose the name of Jesus, what do you see? What do you see? Does it make you want to tool up and get all impatient and rude on the one hand with them? Or does it on the other hand make you want to just stay behind the door and, 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 and not tell anybody at all about Jesus? Or how about it should make us say, Wow! Praise God for his patience. Praise God for his patience. Verse 20. Praise him for his patience. Let me commend that to you. This coming week, if you look out upon people around you who oppose Jesus, don't don't fall into either of those extremes. Praise God for his patience. And then let's not shrink back from talking about Jesus with gentleness and respect. Because finally, number seven, like Christ, you will ultimately be victorious. In chapter one, Peter has said, Though you've not seen Christ, you love him. You love him. Is that your testimony? Not seen him, but I love him. And where is your lovely Saviour now? Verse twenty two gone into heaven at God's right hand with angels authorities and powers in submission to him go ahead kill me communist authorities in North Korea but be warned your day of victory is short lived so let's just take a step back and pause there We've looked at seven motivations behind the big idea. Don't shrink back from talking about Jesus with gentleness and respect. And we've had to go through them briefly. You've got them on the sheet in front of you. And as I said at the beginning, I hope that you will work through those during the week. Perhaps taking one or two of them and looking again at them and working them through in your heart and in your head. Is that going to be a help? Is that going to be a help? And if you're here as a non-Christian this morning, I appeal to you really to to look again at the words of verse 18. It said in verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That is the most wonderful and beautiful thing that we can offer you this morning. The opportunity for you to be brought to God. To be able to stand here and now from this moment on in his presence, as it says in Romans. To stand in the very throne room of God and to live your life there. Because Christ has made a way. And we want to offer that to you. We want to ask you, if you're here and you're not a Christian this morning, grab me after. Let me show you what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ and the way in which you can be right with him through faith in Christ and if you are a Christian here well I want to ask you this morning to be realistic with me when I put that up on the heading there I wonder what you thought let's be honest I am that far away from defending the name of Jesus in a winsome way as an everyday kind of thing I am that far away from this will you be honest this morning I wonder are you much different to me Don't we need to hear this? Don't we need to work these things into our hearts? In fact, I would say the young people with us this morning in our secondary schools and living in the neighbourhoods where they live. Okay, and we've got a number of them in with us this morning. I won't embarrass them. I guess they know more of the force of what Peter's saying here than we do, really. Of course, it's easy for me to avoid this kind of pressure. But they live often day to day in the heat of it. And we want, to, we want to recognize that this morning. We want to bear you up in prayer. We want to say, we, we really pray that these verses will bless you and encourage and help you. But let me, let me say to everybody, is there a desire this morning? Has the Lord given you a desire in your heart? Has Peter's words stirred in you the desire through his word here to do this? Now let me make just three brief comments and suggestions before I finish. Number one, this exhortation to speak comes off the back of everything that Peter said about doing such good in chapter 2. And I want to say to you, as I've thought about it for myself, we can all start there, can't we? Even the most timid of us can say, Christ enables me to do good maybe that good is my start to engaging with people and speaking, if that desire is in my heart and I pray for it and pray for it and work towards it, speaking will follow I didn't even know half of the names of the people that lived in the road where we lived before we moved here before what does that say about how keen I am To talk to them about Jesus. I don't even know their names. Number two. Let's demystify this idea of talking about Jesus. It scares us to death doesn't it? Perhaps the goal should be. we're, we're, We're talking with people. Would you like to look at the Bible with me? Would you like to look at the Bible with me? Just a short part of the Bible. Is that more optimistic? Is that something that we can do? With people. Is that something we can work towards? Is that what talking about Jesus is about? And number three, we ought to be praying, hadn't we, together and for one another, and with one another, for named people who we're investing ourselves in, because we want them to know the Lord Jesus, and we want them to be brought back to God. What are we doing that? How much are you praying with others about people who are on your heart that they might know this Jesus? Because Christian, one thing we mustn't do in hearing this word is nothing. Because after all, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For if anyone is ashamed of my words and of me, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. One thing we mustn't do is nothing. Well won't we bow our heads and pray for quiet thought of what we've just?